0: Hi, everybody. This is Jen Kleinhens. And I'm Rob Vose. And you're listening to another episode of Everybody Hates Your Brand, a podcast where we talk about our thoughts and opinions on marketing, from customer experience to brand and everything in between. Join us today as we talk to Phil Shelper, CEO of Loyalty and Reward Co., Australia's leading loyalty consulting agency, and author of Loyalty Programs The Complete Guide.
1: Um, we've been very lucky on this podcast to have some fascinating guests on, uh, and we try very hard to find, um, experts in their fields uh, and people who have an interesting story to tell. Uh, and this person, uh, is no exception. We've talked about Lawsy before, uh, and we've talked about raw, raw programs before on this podcast. Um, and we wanted to cover it off again with the perspective of somebody who's, uh, really, really, truly deeply an expert in the field so i'd like to welcome to the podcast uh phil shelper welcome thanks rob appreciate you joining us phil is uh, for those who don't know phil's joining us from australia so it's uh early here and and late there so we appreciate that and the time difference can be a, a a pain um so when we start an interview we always do what we call the kind of credibility section like who you are um what your background is and what you currently do so do you just want to give us a quick 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 taste of your career and what you're currently up to please
2: Uh, Sure. So I'm the CEO of Loyalty and Reward Co. We're Australia's leading loyalty consulting agency, uh, but we operate globally. I started my career at Vodafone, uh, just like you, Rob. I was there for eight years indeed, and uh, spent some time in the loyalty and retention team. And that led to me getting a role at Qantas Frequent Flyer. I was there for four years, uh, focused on loyalty design managing all of the reward products uh, and, and other things. And it gave me a really solid grounding in, in uh, the operations of a, a really big, very robust uh, coalition loyalty program. When I left, I then started up loyalty and reward co. We've been running for uh, eight years this month, actually. Uh, we've consulted to over 60 brands during that time, um, including McDonald's globally, uh, Klarna. We're currently working with Klarna, mm. Procter & Gamble, Uh, Optus, uh, Dan Murphy's, Macquarie, NPD Group, and uh, many other uh, big, uh, very big brands, uh, designing loyalty programs, implementing loyalty programs, and helping them to to run their programs as well. Uh, We also do a lot of education also. So recently, we launched our most recent book, uh, Loyalty Programs, The Complete Guide. And we also run a loyalty education course uh, through ADMA, uh, in Australia as well, so we're we're knee deep in loyalty. If you try and talk to us about
1: anything outside of loyalty, we can't help you. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I mean, what credentials? Um, I do have to ask you, as I say, we're both uh, clones. they call us here, because I'm based in Newbury in the UK, which is where the sort of global HQ was for a while. Um, and it's a small town, and it, most people at some point here have worked for for Vodafone, hence the name. What was it? You said that you kind of got into into loyalty at, at Vodafone. What was it about it, that sort of drew you to it and sort of retained you has retained your interest all these years.
2: Yeah, well, I think Vodafone was one of those really great companies where you could move around a lot. So I probably in the eight years mm. I think I had uh, seven or eight different roles. Uh, I spent most of, of my time in the marketing team, but uh, I moved around in different roles within marketing. I definitely working in the loyalty and retention team was was my favourite role there. Um, I liked it because uh, there was the the opportunity to actually uh, make a genuine difference um One of the things that we did mm-hmm. there was uh the churn rate for prepaid customers was very high It's running at about fifty five percent uh and so we worked to develop a program where we identified customers whose uh who had run out of credit or their credit had expired. And if there was any sort of a pause, even a two or three day pause in them recharging, um, we'd hit them with a really attractive offer to stim- stimulate them to to recharge as mm-hmm. quickly as possible. And it was a super simple campaign. So that got me really thinking about how powerful uh, loyalty and retention approaches could be. Um, and then when I moved on the Qantas frequent flyer, I got introduced to the world of loyalty programs that make money. So I was introduced to the commercial model and, and how they make money mm. and the way that all works. And I was absolutely uh, fascinated uh, by it uh, as well. So I got, I got really addicted to that, to the, the commercial modeling and money side of things. Um, the last thing that really cemented my uh, obsession with loyalty was getting involved in loyalty psychology. So, I did a double major in psychology at university, and I did some more uh, study of consumer psychology postgraduate. Uh, and um, the the thing that I identified was that uh, consumer psychology actually is deeply embedded in loyalty program design, and it works really, really effectively. So, mm. the fact that I'd come across a field where all of that psychology that I'd been studying my whole life could actually be applied and it actually worked uh, was very, very exciting to me.
1: It's funny, you talking about prepay retention just brings back memories because I, I that was my background too, so prepay retention. And I just remember thinking how much easier contract retention is than prepay because you have an end date <laughs> you can work around and you have to ring us up to tell us that you don't want to be a Vodafone customer anymore, so you have a whole bunch of reactive things that you can throw in place. But prepay, I'll just stop, shall I? And then you've got to try, as you exactly as you said, you kind of it's it's a much more much more difficult process. And I think your point about the commercial elements of, of reward programs—that point I think—is it people think of reward programs, they just think of loyalty programs, they just think of the loyalty effect. A lot of people don't think about the broader revenues that can be generated from a, a reward program. Um, which kind of leads me into, into I guess, the next question. Um, there's a lot of work been done recently, and uh, over the last sort of, 10 years, since How Brands Grow by Professor Byron Sharp came out in, I think, 2010 or so, around uh, sort of an imp- trying to empirically look at marketing effectiveness, so whether it's Byron Sharp, it's Binet and Field, it's the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, what, what have you. And if you read some of their stuff, um, their view on... Not so many loyalty programs per se, but loyalty and the idea of talking to existing customers, they don't see that as a, as a driver for brand growth. Their view is actually a lot of customers is going to be little and uh, few, lots of customers buying relatively infrequently as a way of, of driving brand growth. Obviously, you must bump up into that when you're talking to clients and you're, and you're working with people. What's your kind of perspective on that, on that work and that angle?
2: Yeah, look, I think uh, my my main uh, response to, to that type of approach is beware of generalist statements. Um, there's a lot of different industries, there's a lot <laughs> of different companies, a lot of different cultures in the world. So to be able to, you know, broadly say, oh, this doesn't work and this does work, uh, you know, for me is immediately problematic. Um, so, you know, people like uh, Byron Sharp have made their career on, Uh, basically saying loyalty programs don't work. And um, from my perspective, I think anyone who's working within the loyalty industry or looking to um, enter the loyalty industry should actually challenge themselves with that question. So they should say, you know, they should explore whether loyalty programs work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, the great thing about the loyalty industry is that for uh, sure, there's uh, you know, uh, papers which demonstrate that loyalty programs don't work, but there's actually hundreds of academic studies all about all aspects of, of the loyalty industry. It's a, the loyalty industry is incredibly lucrative. Uh, it's a subset of, of, of marketing, and, uh, and there's been a lot of money invested from an academic perspective. So uh, there's a lot of studies out there. We've taken the time to read uh, a lot of those studies. Um, As part of writing loyalty uh, loyalty programs, the complete guide, um, we did a lot of research and we've dedicated a whole chapter to answering the question, do loyalty programs work? Uh, The conclusion that we reach is loyalty programs do work and loyalty programs don't work. And it depends on the design, on the execution, on the industry, on the circumstance, on on the culture. But I think simply the fact that there's extensive scientific evidence to support that, yes, they can work, for me negates any commentator claiming that loyalty programs overall don't work. You you can't Mm -hmm. make those generalist kind of statements like that if you want to be be taken really seriously. But uh, certainly for headlines, uh, it's a great way to to build your career and and get some attention
1: the definition of work i think is it working i think is a is an interesting one because there's lots of different ways you can make money from a from a loyalty program that aren't just solely around loyalty you know you generate a, a reward program especially if you've got a bricks and mortar operation generates insight that i can then use to improve my customer experience which generates income i can a uh, game for example video game retail in the uk we would sell our insight and what we knew about our customers not the names, but the actual insight and data to um, to publishers, for example. Um, and obviously, the, you know, the, the airlines make money by selling miles as a wholesale operation. So there's a lot of, the definition of work, I think, is, a, is an interesting one uh, in terms of what you're talking about, in terms of what a loyalty program can offer to a business.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, so when we're consulting with clients, we always start with the question, what are your overall business objectives? and we will now work with you to design a loyalty and member engagement approach that helps you to deliver to those objectives. And for an individual business, um, the objectives are always very, very different to uh, to other businesses. And when you mm-hmm. think about that across different industries uh, and different geographies, uh, you get a lot of variance there. So to say, do they work? I think uh, you make a really good point. That's like, well, work, work to do what? Um, I think from our perspective, um, rather than continuing to have this uh, arcane debate of do loyalty programs work, don't they work? Uh, we think it's um, time to actually ask a more relevant question, which is under what circumstances do loyalty programs work? Uh, if companies can answer that question, they'll be able to de- determine which design elements their loyalty program designers need to incorporate into the program to increase its chances of success for delivering to their particular objectives. So from our perspective, it's things like making it simple, delivering value, providing the member with a sense of belonging and exclusivity to build out that emotional engagement, um, ensuring it's complementary to the brand, designing a cost-effective commercial model so it increases the chances of delivering a positive ROI, um, and providing the resources to allow for further evolution of the program post-launch. But most importantly, ensuring it's stimulating. There's so many uh, loyalty programs out there that are, are just too boring for people to really want to pay much uh, <laughs> attention to it. So I, I think um, the the question needs to change. Loyalty programs certainly do work and they work very effectively, uh, but they don't work in all, in all circumstances and they don't work if the program is designed badly and operated badly. So understanding it under what circumstances they work uh, for us is a much more powerful and relevant question.
1: Well, that's a beautiful segue into my next question. Uh, it's almost as though we rehearsed this, um, which is if you take those kind of um, metrics about what makes a great program and uh, what, what are some of the programs you look at that you go, do you know what, they've absolutely nailed it. They're doing some really good stuff, whether it's whether it's just doing the fundamentals brilliantly, or it's seeing something interesting and new, what are the what are the programs out there that you've kind of either a been involved with or b got your eyes on?
2: Yeah, so I kind of go through phases of working really intensely um, with different programs in order to just get get a really good sense of what what it's about. Um, at the moment, I'm focusing uh, primarily on any program that's powered by artificial intelligence, because for our from our perspective, that that's uh, a really big future mega trend um, within the loyalty industry. So uh, this is pretty mainstream, but um, I'm actually doing a lot of experimentation with Woolworths Everyday Rewards in Australia at the moment. So Mm -hmm. they generate all of their marketing comms from an AI platform hosted by Quantium, which delivers Mm -hmm. individualised marketing to their 12 million members using an incredibly rich data set. And the thing I love about it is the AI platform evolves and adjusts based on how the member responds to different offers. Uh, which ensures that it continually optimises. So it's it's very, very impressive. So what I'm doing with that at the moment is uh, um, for a couple of weeks, I'm getting all of the offers um, coming in, I'm activating them. I'm then going and shopping in a way that uh, activates and uses all of those offers. And then for the next two weeks, I'm going radio silence and then turning it back <laughs> on again. And it's absolutely fascinating to see, how the AI responds with um, uh, uh, increasing and reducing the value of the offers that has uh, been provided to me and changing the conversation and the types of offers that are being put uh, in front of me uh, based on that different type of erratic behaviour. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very fascinating to see it um, responding. It's like you're, you're playing with something uh, alive. Um also, yeah. yeah. I'm also um, having a good play with Kiel's Rewards at the moment. So Kiehl's is like a cosmetics brand. Um, they've got uh, a, um, a, a program where you earn points and you can redeem those for vouchers and they have all sorts of discount offers and that sort of stuff. And the reason I'm having a good play with that is it's ridiculously generous. Uh, so every time no. you place an order, you get all of these free samples and then bonus products, Um, uh, you get uh, 10% back of what you spend um, in the form of points. And when you've accumulated enough, uh, you can cash them out for a $10 voucher. Um, You can use multiple vouchers in a single transaction. Uh, And then if you're at the highest tier, which is diamond, uh, black diamond, um, then you get this astonishingly generous birthday uh, reward as well. So I'm, I'm having a look at that sort of stuff as well. So, one of the things that most loyalty programs struggle with is providing good amounts of value because value is what drives loyalty program engagement. Mm. Uh, Absolutely. So, that's um, an interesting one. Yeah.
1: And I know uh, doing some of your research on you, and, and even I remember being in Australia at the same time as you, and we were, we were discussing this. But I remember seeing some stuff about you looking at things like block, using blockchain. For in the loyalty space and, and exploring that kind of kind of world, you talked about AI and obviously Quantum using it as kind of like a, a an enhanced recommendation offer platform. Is blockchain something that you're still looking at, or is where does that sit currently sit in the world of of loyalty? Do you think?
2: Yeah, very much so. So, I think blockchain's gone through uh, a few phases. Um, I wrote a book uh, called Blockchain Loyalty. I did the first edition back in, uh, I launched in 2018, and then I followed up with the second edition in 2019. Um, I I launched the second edition about six months after the first edition because the space was evolving so rapidly. The books Mm. are only two years old, and it's way out of date already, so (laughs) I'm currently planning um, the third edition. Um, I think uh, in uh, the, the, the first iteration of blockchain loyalty was really about companies doing massive raises through initial coin offerings or ICOs and then trying to develop uh, a coalition program uh, with that funding, which would attract members and merchants to participate, generate an enormous amount of demand for their uh, cryptocurrency, which would then boost the price uh, and everyone would uh, receive multiples of rewards and uh, it, it, it ultimately failed. Um, it's a, a quite a massive, very expensive failed experiment, and it was incredible to watch. Uh, I was very mm-hmm. bullish on it at the moment, but uh, at that time, but um, I saw that uh, ultimately it was flawed, um, and um, the uh, and so that that sort of all just fell away. There's also uh, companies um, such as Loyal who built out uh, really good quality back-end backend. Um, Uh, blockchain layers um, to connect loyalty platforms with earn and redemption partners. They got some good traction with Emirates, uh, uh, which was kind of interesting as well. So there's definitely a lot of stuff going on in that space in solving back-end connectivity challenges and trust between um, different brands. Where we're uh, we're really excited at the moment um, around uh, around blockchain loyalty is everything that's happening in the NFTs or Mm. uh, non-fungible token space. Uh, we think that there's uh, going to be some really exciting loyalty stuff that comes out of um, art and uh, crypto collectibles and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so that that space is only really starting to get going. So we're very uh, excited there. But where we see most of the blockchain loyalty stuff happening at the moment is on exchanges. So um, uh Companies like Binance and FTX and and other companies have created their own crypto token and they've used that to reward uh, the uh, people who trade on their platforms uh, Mm. by doing um, uh, different types of uh, activities, whether it's trading, uh, sharing data, gamification, all that sort of stuff. And that's been incredibly successful for them. So uh, it was interesting that it was ultimately the exchanges that managed to make blockchain loyalty successful. And I don't think there's been nearly enough uh, recognition or or focus on (laughs) that uh, from any industry observers. So we'll be looking at all of that sort of stuff uh, as part of the the next uh, version of of blockchain loyalty, um, as well as a new project um, that we're going to be focusing on in uh, Latin
1: America, which is really exciting. Ah, That does sound exciting. It's interesting because there are so many variations of loyalty programs about how you can do it you know, from the very basic your local coffee shop with a, you know, card and the stamp and using the gold gradient effect to get people to to fill in their stamp cards to complicated programs, whether that's points, whatever it might be. But I think the other interesting kind of aspect that I've been looking at a little bit recently is the idea of something like Amazon Prime. And people don't necessarily think about Amazon Prime as a loyalty type program. But if you read the the originals, a fantastic article, I try and dig it out and put it in the show notes about the, the launch of Amazon Prime. And Jeff Bezos is quoted to say, I want to build a moat around my customers. And if that's not the definition of what a to program is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what is. I think there's some really interesting stuff going on in some of those paid-for programs where they're using the psychology of loss aversion, like, I've paid for this. I should bloody well use it. Um I think that's an interesting space. What, what are your thoughts on, would you describe Amazon Prime as a loyalty program, first of all?
2: I'd definitely describe it uh, as a loyalty program. Um, I think typically when we talk about loyalty programs, uh, we talk uh, more, more widely about member engagement uh, programs or member programs. So um, if you think about uh, a customer engagement program, so that would be a marketing campaign that uh encourages any customer to engage more uh deeply with with the the company Um, a member engagement program would would be a a program where the member needs to go through a formal registration process and by doing that they can then then access uh, a range of benefits and then a loyalty program is where um, members are actually uh, rewarded specifically for uh, their transaction uh, uh, behavior uh, uh, in in the form of rewards that are tied to that transaction behavior, so I, I would uh, say Amazon Prime is more of a member engagement program and a subscription right. one at that. Uh, um, but um, certainly, in terms of the uh, effect, uh, in terms of the value that it, it's delivered, uh, it's an absolute phenomenon. That's for sure.
1: Yes, it's astonishing. When you look at, um, I think it was a WPP report that talks about Amazon Prime members you know, essentially default to starting any search for a purchase on Amazon because, again, they're paid for it. It's so ingrained in their behavior and all those kind of things. Um, one of the things that I've been lucky enough to build and run reward programs and loyalty programs, and on one of the things, and one of the, the funnest sort of situations, and, I, and you must bump into this all the time with your clients, is and i apologize to any finance people listening uh is working with the finance departments uh i think when we launched something called the game station elite which was um game station was a a, um, a national brand of video game retailer i think i did something like I, I don't even want to think 17 different scenarios in terms of business cases um uh, and what have you everything single possible thing and when we looked at redemption patterns and, and you've talked about you want people to be engaged in their program and that also means not just earning but it means burning as well so they're realizing the value of that that program burning points or whatever it might be that it was always a hundred percent margin reduction at the bottom of every profit and loss every every week you know reporting or trading well we gave away this without any any kind of assignment of value of of what you were getting out of the program how do you try and work? Do you do you see that? Uh, it would be a question to as oh, well. Was I just picked on by my finance department, <laughs> or uh, do you see it as a kind of general thing? And and how how do you help marketing teams sort of around that that issue and working with finance?
2: Yeah, so we're definitely lucky. We we kind of I guess have the consultants' advantage there of coming into a company as uh, the loyalty experts um, who are going to tell everyone within the business um, everything that that needs to be done to to build a, a, a revenue-generating uh, loyalty program. Um, the first thing that we do is we uh, interview uh, relevant people within the business, which always includes the, um, uh, the finance director or the CFO uh, where possible, and get them to provide their insights into what they're looking for and, and have a conversation with them about uh, any concerns that they have with respect to cost uh, so that they, they've got that uh, initial interview to let things off their chest and let us know uh, what what they want us to consider, um, so they feel like they're being heard. Um, off the back of that discovery phase, we then have an ideate phase where we run a workshop or multiple workshops with key stakeholders to go through the process of exploring different frameworks and identifying what the right loyalty program design is going to be for the company. And we always make sure that there's a senior finance person involved in those workshops so that they've got the opportunity to participate in that. So when it comes time to actually start looking at commercial modelling, um we're we're um engaging with someone who has been on the journey and has a better understanding of the fundamentals of what makes a good loyalty program, but also why the particular design uh, that is being modelled is the right design for their company. Uh, the other thing as well is um, we often find that people uh, working within finance teams don't have have never designed a loyalty program commercial model before, so they don't really have a solid understanding of how to best structure it. So we'll always do the first draft of the the commercial model for them. Uh, and work with them on agreeing assumptions uh, and uh, parameters and everything. So when it comes time for them to take that over and, and complete that model, they've uh, been heard, they've been uh, on the journey and participated in the design, and they've been provided with direction on how best to model uh, um, uh, the financials. Um, so they now feel like they're actually a part of the process rather than having something put in front of them uh, that they then need to critique without having any real background understanding of, of what's going on. Um, and, and following that process for us, we've been very, very successful in uh, in getting a lot of support from, from uh, CFOs. So it's just me then, is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not you. I, um, when I was at working within companies, it was always way, way more difficult to uh, try and uh, get yeah. something past the CFO because you're developing something in isolation and then taking them to them at the end to say, we want to do this. Can we have some money? Uh, and so it took them uh, a lot of time to get up yeah. to speed to understand what's going on. So it's a, a very different approach. But um, Chapter 14 of Loyalty Programs, a complete guide is all about commercial modelling and uh, financial modelling of loyalty programs with lots of formulas and examples and stuff in there. Uh, so, um, you know, anyone out there in finance world who wants to get a better understanding of how to model, uh, loyalty programs from a commercial perspective, there's, uh, heaps of, uh, details in there.
1: Brilliant. Well, a slight change of gear now, because both myself and Jen, who, again, for anybody who's listened to these podcasts, uh, before knows we have fairly limited, some limitations on our tech, which is why only one of us ever does the, the, um, the interviews usually. Um, but we're both... Uh, interested in uh, setting up people who set up their own businesses people have decided to take the leap uh, and and make a go of something and demonstrably you have you know eight years is phenomenal you know most small businesses don't last that that long so for, for you to have done what you've done is extraordinary we're always fascinated by what the catalyst was that made you make people go out on their own um, what was it what was the trigger for you that made you decide you know what I'm going to go and do something outside of working at a big client or working on a big loyalty program?
2: Yeah, so for me it was just uh, a a hatred of corporate life. So I hated the politics. I hated the slow pace, the control other people had over me. Um, I had no passion for putting energy into uh, a product or a service that I didn't actually own myself uh, or or feel that I could uh, profit directly from. Um, uh, ultimately, my personality type just didn't, didn't fit it. Um, I was always looking for an idea, a business idea, which I could use to go and, and build out my own business on my own. Um, I started Lawton Road Co. when I was working for a company um, after I left Qantas, uh, and I just needed a little bump uh, to get me flying with that business. And uh, fortunately, they gave me uh, a redundancy at exactly the right time. And that mm. funded me to move full-time on, onto the business and I didn't look back from there. So, uh, yeah, that, that was me. Um, I've had a lot of people contact me over the years about going into business or starting up their own consultancy versus staying in corporate land. And um, typically the people who do go ahead and do that versus the ones who go back into corporate land, the the, the main differentiator that I've always determined has been, uh, you know what their distaste for corporate life is it can be an amazing motivator
1: yeah yeah absolutely and in, in terms of um what you've, you've you've learned along those those 8 years of 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 trying to build a business trying to grow a brand um it's so obviously I'm asking you to condense eight years of your life into some small pithy sound bites. But what what would be the kind of key things that you would, if someone is thinking of starting doing this and going out on their own, what would be the kind of things that you would say to them to be to be wary of, uh, or to make sure that they do?
2: Yeah. So first thing I'd say is don't listen to me. Um, when I started up my business, <laughs> I, I realised how little I actually know, knew about business, despite having like a you know, 20-year history of, of working for corporates. Um, hmm. For the last eight years, I've mostly made it up as I, I go along. I've probably faced uh, bankruptcy um, three times during that eight years from, from making um, terrible decisions. So I'm very lucky the business is still solvent, although we're, we're doing very well uh, at the moment. Um, I work like a dog. I've got no social life. I'm utterly obsessive. I'm very, very boring to talk to unless if you want to talk about loyalty programs. I'm uh, unbearably stubborn. Um, so uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, every, everything that you need to just keep going and not give up and never die, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've got, got all of that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, where I've ended up now is uh, I've got a, a business which is um, beautifully differentiated. Um, it's definitely expert grade. Uh, I feel when we go in and work with clients, we're genuinely providing uh, 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 a lot of help. Um, We're geared to continue scaling, which is nice. I've got a really amazing team. And most importantly for me, I don't answer to anyone, which is really important for my mental health. So I think if you're a bit crazy um, and you're ridiculously stubborn and you just want to do it at all costs, then um, that's, that's the best foundation I can think of. Um, If you like um, nice and easy and and balanced, then I'd suggest staying in corporate life.
1: Fair enough. Stubbornness (laughs) it is. Um, Well, look, it's been fantastic having you on. And again, I know you've had a long day. uh, So we appreciate you coming on at the end of yours uh, to come and talk to us. Before we go, we do what we call, uh, have have on every interview what we call the shill section, um, which is uh, an area where we allow our guests to kind of talk about Promote or talk about the thing that they want to talk about at the moment, promote your business, your book. We'll put obviously a lot of the, the links to your book and those kind of things in, in the show notes anyway. But sure. this is your time to kind of talk about, talk about, promote what you would like to, to talk about, if you like.
2: Sure. Yeah. So the only thing I'm uh, really interested in talking about at the moment um, is our book. So um, the entire team contributed to it, as well as some other uh, very uh, um, experienced people in the loyalty industry. Um, it's the first book. Um, ever release, which actually provides a comprehensive overview of loyalty programs, hence the name "Loyalty Programs: The Complete Guide." Uh, so, if you're in the loyalty industry, or if you're thinking about entering the loyalty industry, or just want to know more about um, how loyalty programs operate across all aspects, uh, then uh, "Loyalty Programs: The Complete Guide" uh, will give you everything that you need to know. It's available on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes and Noble, uh, Booktopia in Australia. Uh, plenty of other good book stores as well in, in print and in ebook uh, version. Uh, so please go and buy a copy.
1: Brilliant. As I say, we'll put the link for that uh, in the show notes as well, or multiple links depending on obviously lots of different different places there. Well, look, again, thank you so much for taking time at the end of your day uh, when your brain is probably a little bit frazzled uh, to come and talk to us about loyalty. It is, uh, it is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much.
2: No worries. Thanks, Rob. Have a great day.
0: So that's it for this episode of Everybody Hates Your Brand. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find show notes, resources, and more episodes on our website, everybodyhatesyourbrand.com. But before we go, let's talk about what we're loving this week. That's right. This segment is back. So Rob, what you got?
1: Well, uh, I'm reading a fantastic book uh, called How Not to Plan, 66 Ways to Screw It Up, um, written by uh, Les Burnett and Sarah Carter, who uh, you might have heard Les Burnett's name before mentioned on this podcast, uh, does a lot of work with Peter Field, uh, wrote Long and Short of it and a bunch of other things. Um, but they wrote a series of articles, um, they're both at Adam and Eve DDB, and they wrote a series of articles uh, that they wrote for a publication called AdMap, and they're basically sort of busting myths um, and a lot of the sort of nonsense that swirls around as they were describing themselves well marketing and marcoms and those kind of things, using their kind of evidence-based empirical approach. Um, it's just really well put together, the fact that it's lots of little individual articles feels... Makes it easy to read, doesn't make it feel too monolithic, uh, and there's some fantastic uh, nuggets of information there, whether you're a planner at an agency or uh, somebody who works in the marketing client side. Uh, it's got value for everybody, I think. So it's, it, I'd highly recommend it. We'll put a link to the, to the book uh, in the show notes. Jen, what have you got?
0: Yeah, so this is a little bit of a, um, I guess, not too inside baseball, but the agency that I, I recently started working for is so the Hava CX has released uh their newest version of this thing called the x index so this is technically a little bit of a shill but i find it really really interesting and it's something that i've kind of uh, have been trying to do for a long time in my career which is measure the impact of customer experience or so, like what makes a good customer experience how do we measure that how do different companies compare and luckily for me i just started working in a place that actually does that so that's great um but yeah i would check out the x index because basically what they do is they go all sorts of different countries. So it doesn't matter if you're in the US, UK, China, Europe. They do it all over the globe, basically. And they go around and ask customers a bunch of really interesting questions. And they put together with the, you know, the the sort of algorithm magic that they do and start to figure out what's working, what are the trends, what's coming next, and like basically who's being successful in terms of uh, creating a good customer experience. And I think more than ever kind of coming out of the year that we've had and the way that customer experience has kind of changed because of covid obviously and some other other things um I, I think it's it's definitely something to pick up something you know that's going to be uh fascinating for a lot of people to take a look at well you did it you've wasted another perfectly good half an hour or so with rob and jen and the everybody hates your brand podcast again you can find us on everybodyhatesyourbrand.com and your podcast platform of choice have a week
1: take great great candy vigilant